Well, it's so good to see you guys today. You know, I, I took last week off. I was here, but I didn't preach. We had a, a guy named Josh Allen here. If you weren't here, he gave a great message. He's actually planting a church in North Colorado Springs, and it's really exciting. He's actually a guy that I went to school with, so it was really good to connect last year, reconnect, and, and have him here because he's a part of our network. We're so excited. He shared a great message of hope last week. If you missed it, you can check it out online, stapletonchurch.com. Um, that was really special, but we are going to jump back today, dive back into our series called Healthy Church. And we're in the book of Titus in this series, a little tiny book. It's just going to be five messages in this series, but it's so important. And today, we're talking about the most exciting topic of all, doctrine. What? I was talking with some of my neighbors last night. There were a bunch of guys, and we were talking. And I don't usually get this because these aren't churchgoers, but one of the guys was like, Hey, Matt, what are you uh, talking about tomorrow? And I was like, oh, doctrine. And they looked at me kind of funny. But that's kind of a funny topic to talk about, doctrine. And especially as we think about it, we're like, do we even need doctrine? I mean, do we need theology? Can't we all just get along? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Can't can we just all get along? Do we need to talk about theology? It's so boring sometimes. Um, C.S. Lewis once was at a group, that, he was at, speaking to the Royal Air Force, a group of guys, and he was talking about theology. And as he was giving this lecture, one of the guys raised his hand and was kind of like, why do we even need theology? This man says. Why do we need theology? I believe in God. In fact, I had an encounter with God when I was all alone. Why would I need theology? C.S. Lewis says, you know, you make a good point. Because when you go to the ocean and you see the vast expanse, as far as the eye can see, when you feel the breeze on your face, when you smell that salty air, going home and looking at a map is nothing, right? Compared to the experience of being there, right? But C.S. Lewis said, but if you want to go sail on that ocean and get to a destination, you need a map. And that's the thing about theology. Sometimes it can kind of seem dry. Like, do we need these details? Do we need this doctrine? But it's so helpful because we don't want to just encounter God one time. We want to find him again and again and again. Plus, we want to get to a destination. And if you were trying to set out and go to Hawaii, you're not just going to get in a boat and hope you make it there. No, no, no. If you want to make it to the destination, to grow and to be more godly, to live the way that you're supposed to, and make it to eternal glory, we're going to need a map. And that's what doctrine is and why we need it. So that's what we're going to talk about today, sound doctrine. You know, in this series, Healthy Church, we're looking at Titus. It's this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a new pastor named Titus as he was establishing a church. It needed some organization. It needed some structure. It needed some help. He said, Titus, this is what you need to do. And in the first week in our series, we, we, we saw the goal. He said, he started out with his focus. He said, the goal of a healthy church, we saw, was godliness through the gospel. We have this goal. We want people that are far from God, that don't know him, that aren't living the way they should, to become more and more like God. So we're going to use the gospel to bring people closer and closer to the way they're supposed to be, to live out their faith. And then in the second week in our series, two weeks ago, we saw that a healthy church needs healthy leaders. And the leaders are godly elders who are shepherds like Jesus. So in that message, we talk about what those elders are, what those leaders of the church are. But in particular, we saw four different areas of qualifications. They were to be faithful at home, to love others, to have personal integrity. And the fourth one was to stand firm on the truth. So that's what we're going to build off of in today's message. So that was kind of right leading up to the passage we're going to look at today, starting in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, saying, hey, these leaders, we need to stand firm on the truth. 
And then the question is, well, what truth? Don't we all have our own truth? Don't we all believe different things? So what is the true thing? Can't we just kind of be fuzzy about it? Like, do we need to go into so much detail? Can't we just all get along, you know? Theology. That's, that's what we kind of think and process. I, I saw this great quote, quote from David Brooks. Now, he's a New York Times columnist. I don't, I don't believe he's a believer. I don't know, but he said this. That vague, uplifting, non-doctrinal religiosity doesn't actually last. The religions that grow, succor, and motivate people to perform heroic acts of service are usually theologically rigorous, arduous in practice, and definite in their convictions about what is true and false. Because if you just kind of have this fuzzy belief that you can kind of believe anything, we can all get along, it's okay, right? We can be friends. If you do that, you won't actually have convictions when it matters. You won't... Go like Beth Ann did and leave everything to go serve someone around the globe. No, no, no. You have to have a theological conviction that those people need Jesus. Or, or when your job is on the line or your finances and you're like, if I just kind of fudge the numbers a little bit, if I just kind of cheated or lied slightly right here, nobody will find out and will help me out so much. You will do that. Because if you don't have a firm theological foundation, you're just going to do whatever you want in the moment. So that's why we need to have firm convictions on things. Now we can hold them with grace and with kindness and show mercy to people that disagree with us. We can have tolerance and even love for people other than our beliefs. But we do need to know what we believe. We need to have sound doctrine and we need to hold firmly to that. So my point that I want to give you today is to follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. Follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. Now I'm going to unpack this. We're going into detail on this. But what I want you to see first off is that there is sound doctrine. There is something that is true. There is something that is right. And there is something that is wrong and false. And I know we don't like to talk about that. We want everybody to just get along. But there is false teachers and teaching out there. And we're going to need to learn, well, what is true if we're going to build our lives around it? And here's why this is so important. Because what you believe impacts how you live. What you believe impacts how you live your life. You might be like, well, duh, Matt. But no, 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 people don't get this. What you believe impacts how you live your life. So, just want to give you a couple test case scenarios. Just imagine you lived and you believed that we're just here by chance. There's just this random order. There's no real order, right? It's just random and chaos, and all of a sudden this planet was formed, and of all the multiple universes that ever could be, we just happened to be in the right universe that created life on this planet and brought to intelligent life, and here we are today, but it's all just chance. Everything that happens is random. If you believe that, well, then you begin to say, well, is there even meaning to it? I mean, if you really believe that, and then you're saying, well, is there purpose to this? Is there meaning to it? Or is it just kind of find your own meaning? Choose your own destiny. And if that's the case, well, I'm just going to go for what makes me the happiness, happiest and what gives me most pleasure. And then something happens in life randomly and your life starts to get worse. And you're hurting and you're in pain and suffering. Then what do you do? If it's all just random, you get depressed. You become despairing. And then why not just take your own life? just chance anyways. There's no purpose to it. 
I think if people believe that in a society, you would probably see their depression rates go up, their suicide rates go up. Kind of like what's happening in our own culture. Right? What you believe impacts how you live. Or take another test case scenario. That you say, well, the way we got here as humans, we, we believe, well, it's just evolution. That's the sole and only way that human beings exist today. There's just these cells at the beginning, and then just by chance, there was the right conditions, and those cells became amoebas, and those amoebas added a primordial soup. Hot, finally, humans emerged. And if you believe that, then you would believe, then, survival of the fittest. Those who adapt, those who are the most powerful, the strongest, survive. So therefore, if I am a man, and I am more powerful than others, I can take what I want. Survival of the fittest. You would then see in a culture that believed that, Men, especially men in positions of power, taking what they want from women, from children, from the elderly, from the poor. They would take what they want because they're the ones who are powerful, right? Kind of like what we're seeing in our own culture. What you believe impacts how you live. But, 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 what if you believe what the Bible said about those things? That we're not here by chance. That every single one of us was put here for a purpose. That God uniquely made every human being, knitting us together in our mother's womb. To make us special and unique and give us gifts and put us in a certain situation in our lives and and call us and empower us and give us passions. And then we could go out and live with purpose. We wouldn't take our lives. We would want to use our lives for God's purpose. The greater purpose. And, And if we believe that, no, 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 Humans did not just uh, magically morph out of the goo. No, we were created by God in his image, in a special form of creation that humans alone are. Then every single man, every single woman, every child, every person that has mental and physical disabilities, they would all be made in God's image, and we would need to love them and respect them and hold dignity to every human being. I would rather live in that world, right? What we believe impacts how we live. It shapes it when we really believe. So that's why we need to get sound doctrine right. Because if we get wrong doctrine, it leads to wrong living. It it doesn't just impact your eternity. That's important. It it doesn't just impact your eternity, but it impacts how we live right now. And that's why it's so important. So I want to start with that as the basis for this lesson today that we're talking about. But I also want to give one caveat. I want to say this, if you have false doctrine and you believe things that are wrong, it will lead to unhealthy and bad living and a bad eternity. But just because you understand right doctrine and you have perfect doctrine, it doesn't mean you will live rightly. You guys following me? So I don't want you to say, well, I'm going to get my theology perfect because I'm going to have perfect theology and get everything right and know everything backwards and forwards because then I will be right. No, 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 that's not how it works. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But what that does is create people that are very judgmental and arrogant and prideful and they treat everyone with disrespect because they don't believe the right way. And we don't like those people. You know, sometimes we are those people, right? But we don't want to be that way, even if we have right theology, because also there's another component into it and we'll get to that a little bit. So what you believe impacts how you live just because you have perfect belief doesn't mean you're going to have perfect living. Okay? We got those two things squared away. You guys are with me still? So now let's look at our passage In Titus chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. We'll talk about those people later. 
They must be silenced, he says, because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, I know I'm not going to be popular for this, but there are false teachers. From the very beginning of the Christian faith, there were people that were teaching things contrary to sound doctrine. They're false teachers. And they continue to exist today. And Paul says they must be silenced. Now, I do want to point out that it's saying those who are teaching. It's not just those who are following it or who are led astray. Those who are teaching it must be silenced. We have to find a way to not listen to them. And that's why I told you as our big idea, follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. And if you're like, well, that's kind of harsh, Matt. Yeah, it is. But in our culture, we silence people. We really do. When someone like Bill Cosby does things, all of a sudden, we're not showing reruns anymore of the Cosby show. We don't want them teaching us moral values because of what that person did. We silence people in our culture, so it's, it's normal. If somebody's teaching people and leading many astray, that's what it says, many, we want to silence them. We don't want to listen to them. And that's our goal is really, what I'm trying to teach you is, I don't want you to follow false teachers. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand firm on sound doctrine. And we're going to follow it. And we're going to learn, as believers, how to tell, is this true or is this false? Is this right or is this wrong? Is this going to lead me to negative living and, and harmful living to myself and others? Or is it going to actually be beneficial and help me and help others? So that's what we're talking about today. What, what is that? And what I do want to point out is that it's saying these people are deliberately teaching what is false. They know better. They're doing it for dishonest gain. And people do this as false teachers. We see it. Whenever you hear about those cults and there's like one guy and he has 18 wives, like a thousand kids. You heard about those cults in the news? Well, he's doing it because he wants power and he has this lust so that he can control all these women. So he creates his own religion. He knows what he's doing. He's leading people astray deliberately for his own gain. Or you hear about the pastor who's saying, hey, I want you to give your money to me so I can buy my fourth private jet. Right? You heard about this guy in the news? He's changing what the Bible says and saying, no, 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 you have to give all your money to me if you want to be right with God or else you're going to hell. And then if you do it, then God will make you rich. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. That's false teaching. And he's doing it because then he can have his Rolls Royce, his big mansion, his fourth private jet. And people will say, wow, he must be really spiritual. So there are people who deliberately, and I don't know that guy personally, but I would say there are people who deliberately distort the truth for their own gain. That's what we're talking about here with false teachers. We want to avoid them. We don't want to follow their sound of what they're saying. We want to follow the sound, the sound doctrine, right? So let's look in verse 12 as Paul continues. He says, One of Crete's, that's the island where this church is, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Okay, I'm going to get to this. because That sounds a little harsh. It is. But, okay, I want you to see the sound in the faith. That word sound could be translated as healthy. That's where I've gotten the idea for healthy church in the series. You're going to see that word appear again and again in this book. Because he's saying, I want you to have sound faith. I want you to have true faith. I want you to have what's healthy and good in the church and in each person's lives. So he's going back and he's saying, hey, you're there on Crete. And then he has this statement that has tripped people up for a long time. Cretans are always liars. But I want to explain what's going on. There was actually a, a 
poet, a philosopher back, it was either the 8th century or the 6th century BC, you can go look it up, but his name was Epimenides. You all heard of him? No, I didn't think so. But Epimenides said this. He was from Crete, and he was a philosopher, and he said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That was like his saying. And what's interesting, in the philosophical circles, this became kind of a, a, a joke. Because if a Cretan says that all Cretans are liars, can you believe him? It's like this philosophical conundrum that you had to wrestle with in your mind. Kind of stupid, but that was what Greek philosophers talked about. But what's interesting, so he said this hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul came around to write it, but he's quoting this guy. He's saying, hey, you guys are in a bunch of Cretans, and Cretans say this about themselves, that they're always liars. So this phrase, always liars, evil brutes, and this is probably because there were no wild animals on the island of Crete, but the people became the wild animals, okay, lazy gluttons. They thought they were really funny for saying this. People do this sometimes. They kind of take a bad reputation and make it their identity. People that like live in Vegas, they're like, hey, it's Vegas. We do whatever we want here. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They like take this bad cultural connotation and they're like celebrating it. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you see this like frat boys. They're like, yeah, we're frat boys. We're going to get drunk. We're going to pressure women to do things they don't want to do. And they like love that identity. I'm not saying if you went to a frat, you're bad. But that's the thing. He's, like, he's not saying that all Cretans are bad. But he's saying there's a lot in Crete who kind of take that identity and they're like, yeah, look at us. We're all liars. And we're good liars. You know, have you ever met people like this? That take that bad identity and they make it their own. So that's what's happening. And Paul's just taking that and he's like saying, hey, hey, these people admit they're liars. So let's just, let's just call it for what it is. And those people who are deliberately leading people astray into false faith, we need to end that. You need to make sure that in your church, in your churches there on the island of Crete, that people are listening to sound doctrine. That's what they're following, not the sound of these false teachers. That's what matters. So that's what Paul is really aiming for. <clears throat> and it wasn't just Paul who talked about this. Did you know Jesus made a big deal about this too? In Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. So Jesus said. And the reason why I'm being controversial today and probably unpopular and some of you won't like me is because these people look like sheep. That's what Jesus was getting at. They look fine. They're nice people. They look like they're living fine, right? Should we really say that what they're teaching is wrong? I mean, that's just mean, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. They look like harmless sheep. But they're vicious wolves. Now, I just want you to imagine that you're taking your family, you've got some young kids, and you're going to camp in Yellowstone. There are wolves there, right? Yeah. And there's big bears. I'm talking about big old grizzly bears that kill people like every year, right? If you're going in there with your little kids, are you going to like cook all your hot dogs and leave all this like, meat laying around at your campsite? No. You're going to take some precautions, right? You're going to like maybe cook away from where you're going to be sleeping, and then you're going to like, okay, no hot dogs, we're going vegan tonight, right? We're hiding the, the smell, make sure we just shower whatever you can so that the smell doesn't attract the bears. You're, you're going to maybe have a gun or bear spray or something to protect yourselves because you're like, I don't want the wolves coming to eat my children. I don't want a bear eating me, right? These things are terrifying. So when there's wild animals out there, we protect ourselves. Jesus is saying, hey, in the same way, there's false, there are false teachers out there. And even worse than just maybe killing you physically is they will lead you 
to an eternal despair. We need to watch out. They're trying to ruin your lives. Paul said that they're disrupting entire households. It's messing up families, splitting them apart, leading them into despair. Paul also said in 2 Timothy, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Here's the problem with sound doctrine. It's not just people trying to deceive others. We try to find the doctrine that we like. That has a theology that isn't quite as hard to hear. Uh, you know, it's 2018. Do we need to keep that piece? That bit of theology? Can't we just change it a little bit? I know. I mean, it just seems so old-fashioned. And we find teachers and books and churches that will teach things that are not true doctrine. Because it feels better. And what I'm challenging you to do from this passage that we're seeing is to follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. Sometimes we want the false teachers because they say the things we want to hear. But that's not what it's about. It's about what is true. I think it's so interesting that Paul had said back in verse 10 and 11 that what they're doing, these false teachers, is disrupting entire households. Do you see that? Disrupting whole households. You know, like, how does that work? Think about this. If someone is teaching that marriage is just old-fashioned. That's an institution we don't need anymore. So then if, if you maybe do get married, because, well, I guess that person really wanted that's what you do, and they get married, but then you don't really believe in marriage, and things get tough. Things get harder, and why not just hit the eject button, right? Why not just get out of there? Because marriage, that's an old institution. We don't need to believe in that or work on it. Just get out of there, and then what happens is you leave behind kids... Or distraught. And it would lead to a society where marriages are breaking up all the time, and then there's more kids that are born outside of wedlock than are born in. That's what our society looks like. Because people are saying things like that. We, we don't need to believe in the institution of marriage. Because what we believe shapes how we live. And it can disrupt households, leave kids fatherless. And what we want to teach is what is true. What is right, because we don't want that. We want something better, healthier, stronger. And that's what we're aiming for as a church. So, now I want you to go out and buy Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, all 1,200 pages of it, and memorize every word. No, I do think it's a good book. Maybe you should have it on your shelf. I like it, because sometimes you're like, okay, what is speaking in tongues? And you can read the chapter. And that, actually, of all theology books, is like the one that I like reading. It's kind of interesting. A lot of it's dry. I love theology, and it's dry. But what I'm not saying is that you have to know every detail of theology. Because there's so many details, right? Um, I'm not saying you need to go out and learn why we don't believe in Apollinarianism. Or, or why, um, what, what the difference between complementarian and egalitarianism is. Okay, I can't even blah, 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 get these words out. Okay? I'm not saying that you have to figure out what superlapsarianism is. Don't you love these isms, right? Some, some of you are like, what? I'm not saying you have to figure all that stuff out. I, although I do believe the longer you're here in our church, you're going to learn some theological terms. You'll learn what justification is and that kind of stuff. I want you to learn theology, but what I'm saying is it's hard to know. How do I know what's good and what's false? How do I know what's true and what's wrong? How do I know what's sound and unsound? And that's difficult, isn't it? Because we don't have a theology textbook memorized. So I want to give you something simple. One tool that will help you get this better. 
It's not going to solve all your issues, but it will help you. So this, this is a tool. What is this? Okay. Why do you use a stethoscope? Check a heartbeat, right? Make sure it's in rhythm or whatnot. It's one of the first things a doctor does, right? When you go see them, they check your heart. If you find someone passed out on the side, a doctor, if they don't have a stethoscope, they'll check the pulse, right? Because if there's no heartbeat, what does it mean? They're dead. And then you've got to take drastic measures or they're just gone, right? So this is why I want you to take this stethoscope, because I want you to learn how to use it, because then you'll be able to tell, is this true or is it false? Is it sound doctrine or is it wrong? And if you know the stethoscope and you can just tell, you're going to be able to tell, no, this is dead. Stay away from it. Or this is healthy. Maybe you find an irregular heartbeat. You might. Okay. It's, it's good, but it's not quite there. But I think if you learn this one tool that I'm going to teach you today, it will help you so much with theology. It will help you so much figure out what is right doctrine and what is wrong. And it's the gospel. So I want you to use the gospel as your stethoscope. I want you to use the gospel as your stethoscope to tell, is this religion okay or is it wrong? Is this denomination okay or is it wrong? Is this church okay or is it wrong? Is this book I'm reading okay or is it not okay? I want you as an individual to know the gospel so well that you can tell if there's a heartbeat. If there's no gospel heartbeat, it's dead. Period. Period. There's no use of even thinking about, okay, well, what's their position on tongues? Hey, let's not even worry about that, okay? If there's no gospel heartbeat, it's not even worth talking about those tertiary aspects of theology. So that's what I want to talk about. Now, a lot of people start with God. This is what I hear a lot of apologetics and theologians talk about. Well, do they have the right view of God? But this is really tricky because it's really hard to know. Is it the same attributes of God or is it, you know, the, the Trinity? Does it have to be the Trinity? Okay, what if they believe in three different persons, but they're not all one God? Okay, that gets tricky. And here's even make it even trickier is that Jews have the same God that we do as Christians. But what we believe is that they're missing the end of the story. It's like they went to go see the movie Castaway and they stopped while he was still on the island. It's just Tom Hanks and a volleyball. That's sad. That's tragic. Because he's stuck on the island. He didn't get rescued. He didn't make it out, right? Spoiler alert. Sorry. (laughs) But he got rescued, right? And what we know is that the Old Testament is true. The Hebrew Scriptures is right. But all of it was pointing forward and giving prophecies, pointing to Jesus, who was the Messiah to fulfill all of those Jewish prophecies and be the one to save the world. They missed out on the climax of the movie. And so that's why I say, let's not start with God. Let's start with the gospel. And what is the gospel? Now, I think this is so important that we have to get the gospel right. This is our, our series on Galatians last year. My very first series I start, when I started here was on Galatians, because Galatians is all about the gospel. And what we saw there, I can pull up this verse from Galatians 1.8. It says, but even if we, so this is Paul, it's like, if I change my tune, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is different from the one we preach to you, may he be condemned to hell. The gospel is that important. It's the stethoscope. There's no heartbeat. It's worthless. It's unhealthy. It's not good. Archibald Alexander said, All my theology is reduced to this narrow compass. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. <coughs> Excuse me. That, that's what it all comes down to. This is like the beginning. This is the heartbeat. If you don't have that, it's worthless. 
So I want you to understand it. So I'm going to give you this little chart that you can tell the difference between false religion and the gospel. Very simple. I think you guys can get this today and walk out of here with this stethoscope knowing how to tell it's true or false. Yeah, there's more details that I hope you learn. But let's get this one thing figured out. Um, and, and what we're going to see is it's from our passage. So I want, want to keep reading in verse 14. Paul says, and pay and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. What Paul is saying is in this section is talking about those people he mentioned in verse 10, the circumcision group. Now, this was a a particular form of... um, False teaching that was in the first century. Maybe you find it some places today. We have different forms of false teaching here. So let's look back in that verse. Um, and what he's saying is, it, it, those people they focus on one particular rule. They said, believe in Jesus. That's great, but you also need to be circumcised, as if this one little surgery means you're in with God. You don't have it, you're out. Always drop your drawers. We've got to check. That's crazy, right? But that's what they believed, that it wasn't enough to believe in Jesus Christ. You also had to follow this extra rule to get in. And that's what false religions do. They distort the truth of the gospel because the gospel says that Jesus Christ died for all our sins once for all times. We need to put our trust in him and we are saved forever. We don't need extra rules to follow, to be in or out. We just need to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying Jewish myths and merely human commands. People make all these extra rules. That's what false religion is. They add rule after rule after rule after rule. Every religion in the world is based on that. If you do these rules, you're in. If you don't do them, you're out. You have to be really good at doing the rules, too. Not just you know sloppy. You've got to really go for it if you want to be in. Merely human commands. He's saying that's not right. But he's saying the gospel here, to the pure, all things are pure. Because if we are forgiven by Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if we're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if he's saying in Jewish rules whether you eat kosher or you don't. Or what day of the week you worship on. He's saying all these rules are just merely human commands. What matters is do you have faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, because of what he has done on the cross for you. That's the gospel. Now, I think it's really interesting he says Jewish myths. Did you know there's all sorts of books and writings and scrolls that didn't make it in the Bible? Ooh, if you read the Da Vinci Code, you know what I'm talking about, right? I remember when that book came out, I read it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, my, my mind was blown. So I went to the library and checked out, this is what I, you did back in the day, I went and checked out a book with all these different writings. Like, I didn't know there was things that didn't make it in the Bible. And it's fine if you guys want to read them. They're all junk. Because that's the truth. They're junk. They are not written at the time they say they were. You know, we have dating now that they're written three, four, five, six hundred years after the events they say actually happened. There's, there's one, this is part of one of the major religions in our world, that was written six hundred years after Jesus died, saying that he didn't actually die. They've messed with the gospel. And it was written six hundred years later. Every book in our New Testament was written within one generation of Jesus. That's impressive. But there's all sorts of Jewish myths out there. It's not just Jewish. There's all sorts of books and religions and all sorts of stuff out there 
saying, don't listen to that. What matters is the gospel, not human commands, because each one of those myths teach a human command. And if you want, you can read those books. What you're going to find is they're basically comic books. That, seriously, like comic books compared to history. You, you read some of them, and it's like if you wanted to study World War II, instead of going to a history book or something, you, you get some comic books about uh, Captain America. That'll teach me about yeah, it takes place during World War II. Some of this stuff is slightly true, but it's just made-up stories, right? This is what you'll find. It's like comic books. There's one that somebody wanted to fill in the gaps of what happened when Jesus was a teenager. So they made up this story about a bird dying in him and Jesus bringing it back to life. Because that's what Jesus did as a kid. It's a comic book, right? It's just these made-up stories made hundreds, sometimes a thousand years after Jesus. And you'll find that. There's books out there, but... What I'm not going to do is go through a list of books. I mean, these 66 are good in here. Let me just tell you that. That's some good theology right there. Those 66 books are good. But I don't want to go through each one because some of them are fine. I mean, if you go read The Purpose Driven Life, that's a good book, right? I'm not going to say that's terrible. There's some really good early books, too. But it's tough to know, okay, is this book okay? Is this one not? Is this writing all right? Is this not? Is this sermon okay? Is this not? Is this ministry, this church, this denomination? Man, we could spend days and days and days parsing that all out. And it's helpful work. It's, it's useful. Some people do this for a living. But what I want to teach you is this stethoscope. And what Paul is saying here is it's about the gospel. And he's going to talk about that in the next two chapters in this letter that we're going to look at. It's all about the gospel. And if you get the gospel wrong, there's no heartbeat. It's dead. So that's why I want you to tell. So what is the difference between false religion and the gospel? So let's look at this chart. Three things I want you to see. One is that religion is advice, but the gospel is news. The religion is telling you, this is how you ought to live your life. This would be a better way. This is what you should do. But the gospel is news. It's news that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And that leads us to the second point. That religion is about what we must do, but the gospel is what Jesus has done. That's the center of what the gospel is. Religions are always like, you have to follow these rules, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But the gospel says that Jesus was the only human being ever who fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. We have all fallen short. We have, none of us have done what is right. But Jesus did it for us. And he earned a reward of eternal life. And when he died on the cross, even though he shouldn't have, he gifted to us that reward if we believe in him. It's what Jesus has done. And here's the third thing. Religion says that God loves and accepts good people. That's what every religion says. But the gospel says that God loves and accepts bad people to make them good. Religion's all about, you have to be good enough, you have to be the best type of person if you want God to love you and accept you. But the gospel says, no, 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 you're not good enough. You never could be. You are a sinner. But God loves you and accepts you anyways. And then he takes us who are bad people and saves us to make us good. And that's why we try to do what's right and to live out the implications of the gospel. Not because we have to to be loved and accepted, but because we are loved and accepted. Therefore, we will live out what we should. Religion gets it backwards. So that's what I want to say. Whenever you're listening to a pastor, reading a book, going to a church, say, hey, do they have the gospel or is it just religion? Now, churches can fall into religion and they oftentimes do. But what we need to do is focus on the gospel. If it doesn't have that, it's dead. 
dead. Now, I want to point this out. I, I talked with a young guy this week, and he's actually here. He told me actually to mention his name, or else I won't. I usually don't do that. He wanted me to. His name's Andrew Cruz. He's a young guy, and he grew up in a very religious home, and it wasn't part of our faith. You know, he went to a church that was all about this: do these rules, live this way. And we talked about it this week, and he said, you know, everyone that I grew up with, you know, almost everyone left the faith. Because none of us are good enough to do all this stuff. There's all these rules, and it was so rigid. And the people who do it, what happens is they become one of two things. If you live in religion, this is what happens. You either become the person who works really hard and is able to fulfill those requirements. You become self-righteous, judgmental, arrogant, rude to everybody else, calling everyone else sinners, going to hell. Or it's really hard to follow the rules for you. And you can't live up to the expectations. And then you have this shame and this guilt bearing down on you your whole life. And then you use substances and sex and whatever you can to forget about your religion and get out of there because I don't even want to think about it. So it happens. One of those two things. Andrew talked about that. That's what happened to him and his friends. Most of them left because they couldn't handle all those rules. They couldn't handle the religion. It was too hard. But when we have the gospel that says, no, God loves and accepts us right where we are, no matter what we've done or even will do in the future, that's pretty amazing. And that changes us. It transforms our very heart and makes us good. And I would rather have the gospel than any false religion any day of the week. And I hope that she would as well. So I know that this message is challenging. Some of you are just kind of like, man, Matt, can't we just all get along? Why do we have to talk about theology? But I think that this is so important. Because what we believe shapes how we live. If we really follow through on our beliefs, we let it sink into our heart, it will change how we live. And if we realize that I'm a sinner saved by grace, I need to treat every sinner with love and dignity and respect and help them find Jesus as well. We're not going to be judgmental. We're not going to be harsh with people. And I do want to say this because I don't want any of you to go out there and just bash some people. You're in a false religion. You're, you're going to hell. No, no, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love them and encourage them, pray for them because they're some of our family members. And invite them to church and maybe give them a good book every once in a while. But we love them because we want them to experience the gospel. To know that Jesus died for them. We're not going to be harsh. But the other thing I want to commit to you, that me as, as your lead pastor and us as an elder board and as a staff, we are committed to what is true, to sound doctrine. That we will follow sound doctrine, not the sound of false teachers. And we will help you guys do the same. I realize that not everyone has all their theology figured out. We get that. We're all learning. We're all in process together. But we are going to stand firm on that. And we are going to make sure that the sound of false teachers is not taught in here. That in our kids' program, in our student ministry, we're going to stand firm on the truth of God's word. And that's what we do because we want to shape people in the way they're supposed to be made. With this gospel. So as I have the band come up right now... um, I want to do something kind of unique. We haven't really done it before, and I just want to try it. First service thought it was all right. Was it, was it okay? It was all right. Yeah, that's good. We're going to talk about our statement of faith. Because we have 12 points in our statement of faith. If you go through our membership class, we talk about it. If you've looked at our website, you've seen it. But a lot of, we never talk about it, right? But we believe. So I'm going to just talk about it today. And you'll see the gospel throughout if you really look closely. It's 
all the way through it, you're like, this is not false religion, this is the gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these 12-point statement of faith. And what I hope that you guys will do is say amen after each one of the 12. If you believe it, if you're saying, man, I'm not quite there yet, that's fine. You can kind of just stay quiet. But I'm going to have everybody stand up. Everybody, even if you, you're not sure if you believe or not. But I want everybody to just stand up. And if you do believe this statement of faith with us, what we stand firm on our truth, I want you to say amen after each one of the 12. Got it? Pretty simple instructions, right? So let's look at this. The Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We believe that there is one living and true God, eternally existing in three persons, that these are equal in every divine perfection, and that they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. Amen. We believe in God the Father, an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of each person, that he hears and answers prayer, and that he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in his virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. We believe in his substitutionary atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and personal, visible return to earth. We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate sanctify and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. We believe that all people are sinners by nature and by choice and are therefore under condemnation. We believe that those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and all regenerated persons are members. We believe in the local church, consisting of a company of believers in Jesus Christ, baptized on a credible profession of faith, and associated for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that God has laid upon the members of the local church the primary task of the giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. We believe that Christians should live for the glory of God and the well-being of others, and that their conduct should be blameless before the world, that they should be faithful stewards of their possessions, and that they should seek to realize for themselves and others the full stature of maturity in Christ. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer of water into the name of the triune God. We believe that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of his death. We believe that these two ordinances should be observed and administered until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that every human being has direct relations with God and is responsible to God alone in all matters of faith. That each church is independent and must be free from interference by any ecclesiastical or political authority. That therefore church and state must be kept separate as having different functions, each fulfilling its duties free from dictation or patronage from the other. We believe that local churches can best promote the cause of Jesus Christ by cooperating with one another in denominational organizations or non-denominational fellowship. Such an organization, whether it is denomination or another mechanism for cooperation, exists and functions by the will of the churches. Cooperation in such organizations is voluntary and may be terminated at any time. And the last things, we believe in the personal and visible return of the Lord. 
Jesus Christ to earth and the establishment of his kingdom. We believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, the eternal felicity of the righteous, and the endless suffering of the wicked. Lord God, uh, we believe. Sometimes it's hard to believe, but we are going to stand firm on what your word says. On what is true, not on what is false. We are committed to doctrine in this church, good doctrine, sound doctrine. And I pray that you protect all of us from false teachers and books and those who would lead us astray on purpose or by accident. I pray that we would be able to walk faithfully with you in our life. That we would lead others around us to walk faithfully with you. And that we could change our world with the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.